Hi, friends. I'm Annie F. Downs. Let's read the Gospels. The Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the stories of Jesus Christ's life on earth, the friendships, the parables, the sacrifices, the meals, the miracles. Each month we read all four books. So go ahead and subscribe today as we are getting ready to jump into May, where we will not be reading the message. We'll be reading in the CSB. And I think you are going to love it. So here is how this works. We have only got seven chapters left of Matthew, and we've got three days to do it. So today, I'm going to read three chapters to you. You can listen or read along in your own Bible, and then I'll pray, and that's it. So today is April 28th, day 28 of this month, and I'll be reading Matthew chapters 22 through 24. And this month, I'm reading in the message. Matthew 22. Jesus responded by telling still more stories. God's kingdom, he said, is like a king who threw a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out servants to call in all the invited guests, and they wouldn't come. He sent out another round of servants, instructing them to tell the guests, look, everything is on the table. The prime rib is ready for carving. Come to the feast. They only shrugged their shoulders and went off, one to weed his garden, another to work in his shop. The rest, with nothing better to do, beat up on the messengers and then killed them. The king was outraged and sent his soldiers to destroy those thugs and level their city. Then he told his servants, We have a wedding banquet all prepared, but no guests. The ones I invited weren't up to it. Go out into the busiest intersections in town and invite anyone you find to the banquet. The servants went out on the streets and rounded up everyone they laid eyes on, good and bad, regardless. And so the banquet was on, every place filled. When the king entered and looked over the scene, he spotted a man who wasn't properly dressed. He said to him, Friend, how dare you come in here looking like that? The man was speechless. Then the king told his servants, Get him out of here fast. Tie him up and ship him to hell and make sure he doesn't get back in. That's what I mean when I say many get invited, only a few make it. That's when the Pharisees plotted a way to trap him into saying something damaging. They sent their disciples with a few of Herod's followers mixed in to ask, Teacher, we know you have integrity. Teach the way of God accurately, are indifferent to popular opinion, and don't pander to your students. So tell us honestly, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus knew they were up to no good. He said, why are you playing these games with me? Why are you trying to trap me? Do you have a coin? Let me see it. They handed him a silver piece. This engraving, who does it look like and whose name is on it? They said, Caesar. Then give Caesar what is his and give God what is his. The Pharisees were speechless. They went off shaking their heads. That same day, Sadducees approached him. This is the party that denies any possibility of resurrection. They asked, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies childless, his brother is obligated to marry his widow and father a child with her. Here's a case where there were seven brothers. The first brother married and died, leaving no child, and his wife passed to his brother. The second brother also left her childless, then the third, and on and on, all seven. Eventually, the wife died. Now, here's our question. At the resurrection, whose wife is she? She was a wife to each of them. Jesus answered, you're off base on two counts. You don't know what God said, and you don't know how God works. At the resurrection, we're beyond marriage. As with the angels, all our ecstasies and intimacies then will be with God. And regarding your speculation on whether the dead are raised or not, don't you read your Bibles? The grammar is clear. God says, I am, not was, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The living God defines himself not as the God of dead men, but of the living. Hearing this exchange, the crowd was much impressed. When the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for an assault. 
One of their religion scholars spoke for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. Teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hangs from them. As the Pharisees were regrouping, Jesus caught them off balance with his own test question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said, David's son. Jesus replied, well, if the Christ is David's son, how do you explain that David, under inspiration, named Christ his master? God said to my master, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, if David calls him master, how can he at the same time be a son? That stumped them, literalists that they were. Unwilling to risk losing face again in one of these public verbal exchanges, they quit asking questions for good. Matthew 23. Now Jesus turned to address his disciples along with the crowd that had gathered with them. The religion scholars and Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law. You won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses, but be careful about following them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polished veneer. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. They love to sit at the head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees and getting called doctor and reverend. Don't let people do that to you. Put you on a pedestal like that. You all have a single teacher and you are all classmates. Don't set people up as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let Him tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of Father. You have only one Father, and He's in heaven. And don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. There is only one life leader for you and them, Christ. Do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself— your life will count for plenty. I've had it with you. You're hopeless, you religion scholars, you Pharisees, frauds. Your lives are roadblocks to God's kingdom. You refuse to enter and won't let anyone else enter in either. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You go halfway around the world to make a convert. But once you get him, you make him into a replica of yourselves, double damned. You're hopeless. What arrogant stupidity. You say, if someone makes a promise with his fingers crossed, that's nothing. But if he swears with his hand on the Bible, that's serious. What ignorance. Does the leather on the Bible carry more weight than the skin on your hands? And what about this piece of trivia? If you shake hands on a promise, that's nothing. But if you raise your hand that God is your witness, that's serious. What ridiculous hair splitting. What difference does it make whether you shake hands or raise hands? A promise is a promise. What difference does it make if you make your promise inside or outside a house of worship? A promise is a promise. God is present, watching, and holding you to account regardless. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You keep meticulous account books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get, but on the meat of God's law, things like fairness and compassion and commitment, the absolute basics, you carelessly take it or leave it. 
Careful bookkeeping is commendable, but the basics are required. Do you have any idea how silly you look writing a life story that's wrong from start to finish, nitpicking over commas and semicolons? You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees frauds. You buff the surface of your cups and bowls so they sparkle in the sun while the insides are maggoty with your greed and gluttony. Stupid Pharisees, scour the insides and then the gleaming surface will mean something. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and the flowers bright, but six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm-eating flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You build granite tombs for your prophets and marble monuments for your saints. And you say that if you had lived in the days of your ancestors, no blood would have been on your hands. You protest too much. You're cut from the same cloth as those murderers and daily add to the death count. Snakes, cold-blooded sneaks. So you think you can worm your way out of this? Never have to pay the piper? It's on account of people like you that I send prophets and wise guides and scholars generation after generation. And generation after generation, you treat them like dirt, greeting them with lynch mobs, hounding them with abuse. You can't squirm out of this. Every drop of righteous blood ever spilled on this earth, beginning with the blood of that good man, Abel, right down to the blood of Zechariah, Barakiah's son, whom you murdered at his prayers, is on your head. All this, I'm telling you, is coming down on you, on your generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, murderer of prophets, killer of the ones who brought you God's news. How often I've ached to embrace your children, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you wouldn't let me. And now you're so desolate, nothing but a ghost town. What is there left to say? Only this, I'm out of here soon. The next time you see me, you'll say, oh, God has blessed him. He's come bringing God's rule. Matthew 24, Jesus then left the temple. As he walked away, his disciples pointed out how very impressive the temple architecture was. Jesus said, you're not impressed by all this sheer size, are you? The truth of the matter is that there is not a stone in that building that is not going to end up in a pile of rubble. Later, as he was sitting on Mount Olives, his disciples approached and asked him, Tell us, when are these things going to happen? What will be the sign of your coming that the time's up? Jesus said, Watch out for doomsday deceivers. Many leaders are going to show up with forged identities claiming, I am Christ, the Messiah. They will deceive a lot of people. When reports come in of wars and rumored wars, keep your head and don't panic. This is routine history. This is no sign of the end. Nation will fight nation and ruler fight ruler over and over. Famines and earthquakes will occur in various places. This is nothing compared to what is coming. They're going to throw you to the wolves and kill you, everyone hating you because you carry my name. And then, going from bad to worse, it will be dog eat dog, everyone at each other's throat, everyone hating each other. In the confusion, lying preachers will come forward and deceive a lot of people. For many others, the overwhelming spread of evil will do them in, nothing left of their love but a mound of ashes. Staying with it, that's what God requires. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry, and you'll be saved. All during this time, the good news, the message of the kingdom will be preached all over the world, a witness staked out in every country, and then the end will come. But be ready to run for it when you see the monster of desecration set up in the temple sanctuary. The prophet Daniel described this. If you've read Daniel, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you're living in Judea at the time, run for the hills. If you're working in the yard, don't return to the house to get anything. If you're out in the field, don't go back and get your coat. 
Pregnant and nursing mothers will have it especially hard. Hope and pray this won't happen during the winter or on a Sabbath. This is going to be trouble on a scale beyond what the world has ever seen or will see again. If these days of trouble were left to run their course, nobody would make it. But on account of God's chosen people, the trouble will be cut short. If anyone tries to flag you down, calling out, here's the Messiah, or points, there he is, don't fall for it. Fake messiahs and lying preachers are going to pop up everywhere. Their impressive credentials and bewitching performances will pull the wool over the eyes of even those who ought to know better. But I've given you fair warning. So if they say, run to the country and see him arrive, or quick, get downtown, see him come, don't give them the time of day. The arrival of the Son of Man isn't something you go to see. He comes like swift lightning to you. Whenever you see crowds gathering, think of carrion vultures circling, moving in, hovering over a rotting carcass. You can be quite sure that it's not the living Son of Man pulling in those crowds. Following those hard times, sun will fade out, moon cloud over, stars fall out of the sky, cosmic powers tremble. Then the arrival of the Son of Man. It will fill the skies. No one will miss it. Unready people all over the world, outsiders to the splendor and power, will raise a huge lament as they watch the Son of Man blazing out of heaven. At that same moment, he'll dispatch his angels with a trumpet blast summons, pulling in God's chosen from the four winds, from pole to pole. Take a lesson from the fig tree. From the moment you notice its buds form, the merest hint of green, you know summer's just around the corner. So it is with you. When you see all these things, you'll know he's at the door. Don't take this lightly. I'm not just saying this for some future generation, but for all of you. This age continues until all these things take place. Sky and earth will wear out. My words won't wear out. But the exact day and hour, no one knows that. Not even heaven's angels. Not even the sun. Only the Father knows. The arrival of the Son of Man will take place in times like Noah's. Before the great flood, everyone was carrying on as usual, having a good time right up to the day Noah boarded the ark. They knew nothing until the flood hit and swept everything away. The Son of Man's arrival will be like that. Two men will be working in the field. One will be taken, one left behind. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left behind. So stay awake, alert. You have no idea what day your master will show up. But you do know this. You know that if the homeowner had known what time of night the burglar would arrive, he would have been there with his dogs to prevent the break-in. Be vigilant just like that. You have no idea when the Son of Man is going to show up. Who here qualifies for the job of overseeing the kitchen? A person the master can depend on to feed the workers on time each day. Someone the master can drop in on unannounced and always find him doing his job. A God-blessed man or woman, I tell you, it won't be long before the master will put this person in charge of the whole operation. But if that person only looks out for himself, and the minute the master is away does what he pleases, abusing the help and throwing drunken parties for his friends, the master is going to show up when he least expects it, and it won't be pretty. He'll end up in the dump with the hypocrites, out in the cold, shivering, teeth chattering. That is Matthew chapters 22 through 24 in the message. Let's pray. Jesus, I like that part where it says there will be someone in every country. Someone in every country will be sharing the good news. And God, we know that is not the case today, that there are so many unreached people, people who don't know anyone who knows anything about the gospel. And so we bring them to you today. And we ask, Jesus, that you would do miraculous things. You would send people to them. You would give them dreams. You would just show up for them. God, we don't want anyone... Um, to not know about Jesus. And so 
somehow today would you reach people that are not reached? Would the gospel be preached in every country? We love you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.